right, guys, welcome back to Revive School. Here we are talking through uh, Paul's letters. You know, we have for, Kevin, I think it's a fair statement, for at least a couple months. Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, and now here we are in Ephesians. We really only have three more chapters in the book of Ephesians where we, we begin to launch off into another epistle, another letter. Now, Kevin, yesterday, we were talking about the mystery that Paul has been revealed. I mean, right, he's been, my job is to deliver the good news to the Gentiles. And by the way, I'm supposed to continue to talk about the, the mystery of the church. And oh, by the way, if Christ is the head, which is our word, uh, in Ephesians 1.22, if Christ really is the head, you want to go there for me, Kevin? He put everything under his feet, appointed him as head over everything for the church. What he's saying is, he's like, look, it doesn't matter if it's Jew or Gentile. If you have a relationship with Christ, he is the head. So when you begin to get into Ephesians 4, it makes sense with where Paul goes. I think a lot of times when we talk about unity in the church, which is where we go, we talk about equipping here where we go in Ephesians 4. If you don't understand Ephesians 3, you're kind of like, you feel like Ephesians 4 is just out there. But now it's beginning to make sense. He's like, guys, this is intended for everybody. So he says in Ephesians 4, he's talking about this foundation uh, really of, of one. This foundation of unity it says, therefore, I, the prisoner for the Lord, remember, he's in, sitting in prison, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received. Now, I love this picture. We're going to get into it. I think it's a little bit tomorrow where we talk about this walking manner, like what that looks like to walk out, but walk worthy of the calling you have received. Because when you embrace Christ, the indwelling of Christ is inside of you. The spirit of God is inside of you. There's this calling that you've received. And then he says, Here, here's what, how you're supposed to walk it out. With humility, with all humility. <laughs> so let's just put it this way. You walk with humility, with gentleness. <laughs> I'm working on that. And, uh, and with patience. Now, obviously, humility, there's three, these three virtues, okay? And MacArthur says it this way. Humility means you have a proper assessment of oneself in God's program. Like you actually view yourself in a role and by the way, God's in charge. It's not, I'm in charge. I'm walking this out. Oh God, can you bless this? No, you really begin to understand really where your place is. It's okay to embrace yourself as an elbow. Well, that's not very fancy, especially if you're the the bottom part of the elbow. Rich, you know what that's called? Um, I do, but I want to hear you say it. It's called a weenus. <laughs> what if that's your job? What if that's your role with the body? Like, you have to understand your role. I can't believe it. I've always wanted to integrate that word into a message. <laughs> no, you did it. <laughs> but, like, here's my point. is Everybody has a role. A foot, um, an ear, an eye, a nose, a mouth. Like, just embrace it. Because God's put you there. Walk out your calling that you've received. And then you have the function in gentleness. Uh, John MacArthur says, gentleness is, think about it this way, it's an appropriate perspective. Uh, it's a, you're doing a self-assessment and your emotions and everything is under control. Like There's this gentleness as you walk out your calling. Like, hey, this is who I am and I realize like everything's in check. And then he says, and do this in patience. In other words, even under affliction, okay, even under affliction, 
you need to understand this mentality of like, hey, God knows what he's doing. Walk this out. And, and here's, here's why I believe in the first two verses, I, I really believe why he's doing this. He says, you're accepting one another in love. When you function with humility, gentleness, and patience, Kevin, you, you'll, you'll be patient with me as I do these things. You know, Rich, you'll show humility towards Tom as he does these things. And Tom, you'll show patience towards Kevin. Like all of this, like when you begin to walk these things out, you're accepting everybody. Not to the point where you're compromising truth. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying now you're accepting them in love. So if a Gentile says, hey, I believe in Jesus. Hey, cool. As a Jew who believes in Yeshua, you're okay with that. Why? Because you're comfortable and confident in who you are in Christ. Just because somebody else experiences Christ, it shouldn't affect what you've been given. And then he says in verse three, guys, you're accepting one another in love and you're diligently keeping the unity of the spirit with the peace that binds us. Diligently keeping it. You know what that means to me? You're intentionally going out of your way to make peace. You're intentionally working on keeping peace. So, Kevin, if you and I have a disagreement about whether or not it's the Chiefs or the Steelers, we know it's the Steelers. You'd say, you know, it's the Chiefs or the Vikings. You'd even throw in that. My point is, is like, even though we have a different team that we like and that we cheer for, uh, we can still watch games together. But you have to be intentional about watching games together. I'm actually serious because here's what we've done in the church today. Well, uh, I'm non-denominational. Rich is the assembly of God. Kevin, I think you're non-denominational. Tom, you're non-denominational. But then you throw in a couple Baptists that we have here on the team. You throw a couple Methodists that we have on the team. And you know what happens is we create, and we've said this over and over, silos. And if you're not intentional about going after the unity of the spirit that can only come from the peace of Christ, guess what happens? We're not bound together. We're not one. We are no longer the church of Ephesus. We're no longer the church of Dallas. We're many different churches. And then the lost just scratches their head and says, what? What? Can you imagine, Kevin, the picture of when the Jews who embrace Yeshua and the Gentiles who embrace Christ, can you imagine when they actually begin to think we actually might be one? And so he says, look, guys, stop this bickering. Stop these fightings of it goes to one or goes to the other. No, I need you to intentionally keep the unity of the spirit. Time to revive. Look, I have no problem saying this. Yes, we love to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. We're going to get into that today. But the reality is, like, we go after the body of Christ so that we could see unity of the spirit. And that's what Paul's saying. He's like, I need you to diligently keep doing this. Go after the unity of the spirit because it's the peace of Christ that binds us. And then he says in verses four, five and six, remember in Ephesians three, this is what he talks about. You guys, the mystery is that there's one. So he says in Ephesians four, four, there's one body. There's one spirit. And so here's what he does. I'm just going to write these up because he, he goes over the top. He says there's one body. Then he says there's one spirit. Okay. And then he says, same text, just as you were called to one hope, the hope that you have in Christ. At your calling. By the way, we're all the same. One body, one spirit, and one hope. Because we're one body, Kevin, because he's the head. And because he's the head, we have the spirit of God inside of us. One spirit and that one hope is if you go to 1 Peter 1.3, just so you have a, a picture. Multiple verses could support each one of these. But in 1 Peter 1.3, it says this, 
Blessed is the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has given us, look at this, a new birth into a living hope. So what's the hope? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because of Christ, we have hope. And here it is. All of us have the same hope. It's an inheritance that is imperishable, uncorrupted, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. That, my friends, is the same hope for Kevin, Rich, Tom, and me, and you. Jew or Gentile, if you embrace Yeshua HaMashiach. One body, one spirit, one hope. And then he says in verse 5, he's he's not done. He says, oh, by the way, one Lord. (laughs) And then he says, you have one faith. It's also in one baptism. Now, some of you be like, okay, where are we going here? It's the baptism of his death. In Romans 6, 3, this is what we're talking about. Kevin, if you'll go there, just so you have an understanding. Because of what Christ has done. Romans 6, 3 says, it says, Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So because of his death, guess what? We can experience resurrection. And by the way, it's just one death. I think this is important to understand. It's one body, one spirit, one hope. We have one Lord, one faith, and then one baptism. And that baptism, you guys, it's not water baptism. It's not spirit, uh, Holy Spirit baptism. That's my perspective. Is I actually believe it's one baptism, the baptism of Christ's death. And then finally, in verse 6, it just wraps it all up. He says, one, one God. And Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in all. Now look, this is the part that throws everybody off. Well, wait a minute. Kevin, if you go to Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Okay, this is really important to understand. Okay, this is Paul talking and writing to the Ephesians. He's in prison in Rome. He's articulating this. He says, look, listen, Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Many people, I've heard Muslims argue this. He says, well, you guys believe in three gods. No, no, no. Scripture says, Paul even says this. There is one God who then what? He manifests himself through what? Through the spirit, through the father and through the son. I mean, this is what we're talking about. We're not talking about three different gods. In fact, Paul says there's only one God. And oh, by the way, he's above all and through all and in all. Okay, so this is kind of the foundation of and really what we're after here. What Paul is after is emphasizing one word, unity. Unity. Like this is really important. Now, here's the crazy thing. And now he's beginning to talk about diversity. He goes from unity to diversity. In fact, in verse 7, it says, Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of the Messiah's gift. For it says, and there's a lot here. I'm going to kind of just kind of just uh, coast through this a little bit here. Okay, Not because I don't want to take a whole lot of meat. I just want to let you know, 7, 8, 9, and 10, there's a lot of substance there. Okay, 7, it says, Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of the Messiah's gift. For it says, When he ascended on high, he took prisoners into captivity. He gave gifts to people. But what does, yeah, actually he gave gifts to people. But what does he ascended mean? Except that he descended into the lower parts of the earth. There's a couple ways of looking at this. This is Jesus Christ, okay? Jesus Christ, either he went to the grave. There's a couple ways that this means. It says, what do you mean he descended to the lower parts of the earth? Remember, death, burial, resurrection. In that death, in that burial, somewhere scripture is talking about, like it says he descended to the lower parts of the earth. Well, is the lower parts of the earth the grave? Is it Hades? Is it just death? I mean, these are perspectives that people take. 
Or Nelson's commentary even says, is it the lower parts of earth where Christ is literally just coming to humble, a humble, our humble planet as a man? Does it just mean he just came here? Like to first heaven. Like that's what we're talking about. You have first heaven, second heaven, third heaven. Is he talking about here? Is he talking about the grave? Is he talking about death? Is he talking about Hades? You can look at it in different ways. I'm just going to say somewhere Christ descended on behalf of us. And he fought on behalf of us. Rich, Kevin, you want to jump up, attempt to clean up any of that? It's pretty good. So then it says in verse 10, the one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And here's what he does. It says he personally gave verse 11. This is time revives theme verses. 11 and 12, he personally gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. Why? Why does he give these type of people, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers? Why does he give us to us? One, it says, for the training of the saints, okay, in the work of ministry. He also says this, he says, Why? So that you can build up the body of Christ. To build up the body of Christ. So why do we need apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers? To build up the body of Christ. Look, I have no problem saying I grew up in a very conservative background. I promise you, <laughs> I only ever heard about a, a preacher or a pastor and maybe a teacher. According to scripture, Paul says, hey, look, guys, by the way, I'm going to he, he meaning Jesus is going to give us apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Why? Training of the work of the ministry and so that you could build up the body of Christ. And then he says, oh, by the way, here's how long you should be doing this until we all reach unity in the faith. Kevin, you could drive around Dallas and Fort Worth. Do you do you think we've hit that point right now? No. <laughs> so if that's the case, is it a fair statement that we should still be seeing apostles, pastors, prophets, evangelists, and teachers unfolding in our lifetime until we see this? I believe so. I never heard that. I was taught that those things just stopped. And oh, by the way, the scripture continues on, just so you know, you do this until we reach the unity in the faith. And we do this until it says in the knowledge of God's son, until people have the knowledge of God's son. Well, I think I don't think we I don't think we ever hit that status. What do you got, Kevin? Well, it's it's unity in the knowledge of God's son. And then at the same time, this is kind of fun. It says growing into a mature man. So we continue to do that. So we see growing into mature man. And by the way, measured by Christ's fullness. Here's the point. All of these things need to continue to take place. The training, the building, till we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son. Can we actually come to terms on this? And so that we're going to be growing into a mature man and measured by Christ's fullness. All of these things. And so here's what I want to do. This is a hand. It's not a turkey from NBC. He says he personally gave us some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. I actually think that the problem in, in, in the church today is it's not that maybe some of us don't believe in this. Some of us have never taken time to say, what is that? 
here's what I will tell you this. Most of us have pastors. In a church, you pay a pastor, he does the work. He does weddings, he does funerals, he teaches up on the front, he visits people in the hospitals, he teaches Sunday school class. Every once in a while, he comes to a sporting event, he cheers you on, and we expect that guy to then also have breakfast with us. Right? And oh, by the way, he's supposed to know that my kid is struggling in fourth grade math. And then we sit there and we say, gosh, why doesn't the pastor do this, this, and this? And so we have all of these expectations of one or two people that are labeled pastors in our, uh, on staff. If you have a larger church, maybe you have 30 or 40 pastors. I'm going to give you a couple statistics, okay? This comes from uh, uh, Cindy Jacobs, generals.org. There's an article about the fivefold ministry and why it's essential. When we say fivefold, okay, it's not a terminology that you can find in Scripture, but it's just using to describe those five things. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Here's just some statistics. 1,800 pastors, okay, this is according to Cindy Jacobs' ministry, 1,800 pastors leave the ministry every month, okay? 40% of pastors will not be in ministry in 10 years. 50% of pastors feel unable to meet the needs of the job. 80% believe that the pastoral ministry negatively affects their family. That that number just went really high. (laughs) 40% of pastors say they've experienced burnout, or depression to the extent that they needed a leave of absence from ministry. And then 33% felt burned out within the first five years of ministry. Here's why these statistics are alarming. And again, you could all have all kinds of statistics that could back up different stuff. Please understand this. Is what we've done is is we've said to, to the pastor, you need to do it all. And the reason I want to go to Ephesians 4, the reason Paul goes to Ephesians 4 with the Ephesians, he's like, hey, guys, if we want to continue the work of the church of Ephesus, guys, I need multiple voices in this, not just one paid voice. And so here you have an apostle who's considered, oh, which one's my thumb? This is supposed to be my thumb. The apostle is the thumb. It's not in opposition to the other fingers. Okay, this is a this is a whole uh, lesson that our team has been putting together. That we've been teaching on, training on, but the the thumb is designed to complete the full function and the power of the hand. Now, listen to this: the apostles' function in administration, right? Isn't this what Paul says? Uh, and together with the prophets, they lay the foundation with proper doctrinal and spiritual structure. Okay, in other words, they're a foundational layer. They're a pioneer, an entrepreneur within the body of Christ. By virtue of being a foundation layer, okay, they really out of necessity, they can operate in the other offices in order to get things started. And when beginning a work or a ministry in other offices, when the gifts haven't been raised up, uh, it's essential that the office of the apostle functions in different gifts. Here, here, the Greek word apostolos, okay, it means one who is sent out. The term is used by Romans to describe somebody who is sent out to uh, uh, accelerate newly acquired land. They're, they're going ahead. And I love what apostles ask. They always ask, are we leading the people of God to the new place God is calling them? They're always on the front. They're always on the forerunners. They are the pioneers. Uh, in other words, you're going to see uh, the 12, they would be great examples. The 12 disciples would be 12 apostles, the apostle Paul, what we've been talking about. Okay, so there you have the apostle. Okay, please understand this. You could truly teach on this for a whole week. 
I want to just give you the images and the structures of what this could look like. Then you have a prophet. Okay, the prophet is the forefinger. Okay, the prophet is the forefinger, the pointer finger. The prophet... <laughs> I don't know what My forefinger doesn't make that sound. I just don't know what, what happened. The prophet functions in revelation and points the way for believers. The office of the prophet is different, this is important, than the gift of prophecy. Okay, the office of, the, of a prophet carries a governmental authority and role with higher responsibility. The gift of prophecy is for edification, exhortation, and comfort where the prophet flows in areas of guidance, instruction, rebuke, judgment, and revelation. In a weird way, it's a, it is, it's more of a responsibility. Not everybody functions as a prophet, but everybody can have the gift of prophecy. Whatever Christ to choose to speak for the purification and perfection of a church, he can release to a prophet. Prophets, when they are in the spirit, know God's will. They're particularly attuned to God and his truth for today. They bring correction and challenge the dominant assumptions we inherit from our culture. And I like this. They question the status quo all the time. Without the other types of leaders in place, prophets can become belligerent activists or disengage from the imperfection of reality and become otherworldly. So the Greek word prophetes, prophet, prophetes, P-R-O-P-H-E-T-E-S, meaning one who hears and listens to God. The prophets are constantly asking themselves, remember with the index finger, are the people of God hearing his voice and responding appropriately? Now look. When you have only a pastor in the church, you're saying, I need you to function as an apostle and as a prophet. But now if you don't even believe that apostles and prophets are for today, you're missing out on two fifths on ways that God says, I want to equip and train the saints to do the work of the ministry. So we get mad that a pastor is not upholding all of the things that he should be doing. It's because he was never designed to do that in the first place. And I think for me, this gives you a, a unified approach to the Ephesians. Guys, I want you to be able to do the work of the ministry. And here's how. When there is not pride involved, this works. You know why? Because then a pastor is willing to actually allow the prophet to speak. He's allowing the evangelist to train and equip. He's allowing the teacher to actually have a voice. It's a bigger picture here. So here you have apostles and you have prophets. Prophets can also be prophetesses, girls, okay? Males or females. Think about Philip's daughters in Acts 21. Different uh, genders are known as prophet or prophetesses. Then you have the classic evangelist. Rich, what do you know? The evangelist is the middle finger. Decided not to draw that one first. So the middle finger signifies the evangelist and it represents the outreach ministry extended to evangelize the world. Evangelists are soul winners and there's so many in the body of Christ who, who have a burden to win souls, but who do not hold this office. You can share the gospel, but it doesn't mean you're going to be training and equipping the saints to do this. There is a difference. Okay, kind of an interesting, uh, they are called to stir up the church and move its people into action. I actually think uh, uh, an, uh, uh, an essential evangelist is one who has been on the streets, who's been in the neighborhoods, been in the countries, understands that, and now they're seasoned, that now they can train people. You can't train people if you've never done this before. Evangelists recruit. 
They're infectious communicators of the gospel message and recruit others to do the same. Here's the deal. The evangelist, the Greek word evangelistes, means one who brings good news. And here's what they're asking. Are new people entering into God's kingdom? If you're pastors and you're shepherds, you're always just making sure your shepherd's okay or your people are okay, your sheep are okay. But if you're an evangelist, you're saying, hey, we need new sheep. Already you have this bigger picture, this bigger approach in order to build up the body of Christ. Okay, as we continue on here, here you have in the fourth finger, the ring finger is known as the shepherd. The shepherd is known also as the pastor. It's the ring finger. It's the wedding ring finger symbolizing, I love this, the shepherd's commitment to and take care of the flock. Here's what we've done though, Kevin. We've said to the shepherd, I need you to be the best teacher ever. I need you to be the best evangelist. The reality is he might be a guy who just loves hugging people and saying, how are you doing? Let's go to breakfast. <laughs> the pastor should be and the shepherd is bound to the local saints in a shepherding relationship. They nurture, they protect, they're caregivers of the community and they focus on the protection and the spiritual maturity of God's flock. They cultivate a long and loving spiritual mature network of relationships and they love making and developing disciples. They're pouring into people. They're loving on people. A shepherd in the Greek word poimen means one who shepherds God's people. And here's what they're always asking. Are the people of God being protected and prepared for a Christian lifestyle? That's a shepherd. But the apostle Paul says, hey guys, in order to be one body, one spirit, one hope, I still need you to understand there's diversity in the body. There's apostles today. There's prophets today. There's evangelists today. There's shepherds today. And then finally, we have um, the teachers Okay, we have the teachers and the teachers are it's the smallest finger. It's the little finger that's essential and it brings balance. The teacher grounds the church in truth with instruction based on the principles of the word of God. The teacher's heart is for truth. Their desire is to dissect the word to make sure the church of all of our equipping to make sure the church is thorough in understanding the truth of Scripture. They're expositors, they're theologians, they're Bereans, and they have a specific burden and emphasis in some specific area of truth to teach the body. But they might not sit around and give you a hug and drink a Coke. They might not be out on the streets, but teachers understand and explain, and they help others remain biblically grounded to better discern God's will. A teacher in the Greek, Dida Askalos, D-I-D, A-S-K-A-L-O-S, meaning one who seeks and shares the truth. Here's the teachers. This is what they're asking. Are the people of God immersing themselves in Scripture and biblical principles? Are they living them out, teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training? Here's what I love about the Apostle Paul for the Church of Ephesus. He says, guys, in order for us to be unified, in order for us to understand the fullness of God, we need to have the fivefold training us so that we can do the work of the ministry, to build us up so that we can reach the unity of the faith and the knowledge of God's Son and that we'd grow in Him measured by Christ's fullness. This, to me, is why it's essential with the fivefold. If we don't have the fivefold and we only function on a shepherd or a pastor, or only function as a teacher, you guys, we're not balanced. And we need the balance in order to be unified. But I'm going to go back to the beginning of the message. It takes humility. It takes gentleness. It takes patience. It takes accepting those in, in love. And then it continues on in verse 3. And we have to diligently keep uh, keeping the unity of the Spirit with the peace that binds us. Why? So that we can walk out and advance the kingdom of God. And when it's all said and done, He's still the head. <laughs> he is 
the head. Some of you are still thrown off that I've been talking about apostles and prophets. Here's what I'd say. You test this. You test this and see, have those things gone away or should we still have those today in the church? And my proposal is based on what Paul wrote today in Ephesians 4, what we're reading and what Paul wrote year, long ago, <laughs> is that they're still applicable today. We need them all. And so I want to just say thank you for being open and plowing through this because I really believe God wants us to walk out the calling, every one of us, that we've received. Have a great day, guys, and we'll talk to you tomorrow about Ephesians 5. Thanks.